So the title of my talk is God Speaks Through the Word to the Few or to the Many. And um, the Bible tells us that God is a God who loves to speak. He is a God who reveals himself to his creation. He's not like a God who's made creation a bit like a, a watchmaker or a clockmaker makes a clock and then just leaves it to tick along by itself. Instead, he's intimately involved with the creation that he's made and he speaks to each of us and he wants to speak to us today. And he speaks through his word, the Bible. He speaks through his son, Jesus Christ, who is the embodied word of God, the word made flesh. John chapter 1 starts with those famous verses. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him, in Jesus, the living word was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And so what we see is that God's word, the aim of God's word, it it has a purpose. It's powerful. That word power, if you take nothing else with you today, take that. That God's word has power and it has life-giving power. The purpose of God's word was always to bring life about. So if you read Genesis 1, you see um, right from the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, and there was. And God said, and there was. And God's word brings life into being. And God's word has spoken your very existence into being. Everything in this beautiful world, everything that we hold dear in this world, was spoken into being through God's word. And so when we're trying to figure out, is this God speaking or not, one of the really important gauges is, is this bringing life? Is this bringing God's life about? And yes, the word might sometimes convict. It might sometimes put a finger on dis-ease, on things that are not right, not lined up with God's way. But it will always ultimately be about bringing life. There's a good way to test, is this God speaking or not? Psalm 107 says, God sends out his word and brings forth healing. He's about bringing healing, restoration, shalom, God's kind of wholeness that it was always intended from the beginning. And he sent his son, the living word, into this world to bring about that healing. God's word is like a power-packed seed, Isaiah 55 tells us, For just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return without watering the earth, making it bud and sprout, and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that proceeds from my mouth will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I please, and it will prosper where I send it. God's word has power. It is sent forth for a purpose, and that purpose is to achieve life. So next time you open your Bibles, think of it as that power-packed seed, wanting to go out from God to bring about his kind of kingdom life. But God's word gets contested 
all the time. We see that in the beginning as well. No sooner have we had God's life-giving word in Genesis 1 than in Genesis 3, God's word gets contested in the Garden of Eden. We know the story of the serpent, but we see it also with Jesus, actually. No sooner has God spoken his word over his son at his baptism and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, speaks Jesus' identity, the identity that Jesus is to walk in throughout his ministry, no sooner has that happened than Jesus goes out into the wilderness and immediately that word gets questioned. And we see that Satan in the wilderness begins his temptation by asking Jesus, if you are the Son of God, then... God, Jesus, God already said that Jesus was the Son of God. That's exactly the thing that Satan picks up on and starts putting wiggly lines under it and question marks next to it. And unfortunately, that is our experience time and time again. There is some, there is an enemy of God who wants to question and call, undermine and cause us to doubt God's word in our lives. Did God really say? You know, we heard that wonderful psalm, Psalm 121. I bet you, before the end of today, you will think, when you hear the news at some point and the new statistics of what's happening, did God really say? This is our human experience. And one tactic that Satan uses is denial, but perhaps an even bigger one that we have to contend with in our society in Britain is the one of distraction, There is so much word traffic around. I wonder how many words you've taken in, even since Sunday, about the coronavirus from all the different news feeds that you're receiving. So much traffic around. And it's very easy to get distracted from the word of truth that we know we've, we've taken in on, and we know it's true. But there are so many other words that kind of block the airwaves. T.S. Eliot said, we are distracted from distraction by distraction. And I know that that's my experience often as well. I found it really interesting. The Bible Society sent out a message last week, I think it was, to say that many of the Chinese who are in quarantine, Chinese Christians are reading their Bibles like they haven't read them in years. And as they're reading them, God's, God's bringing his word to life in them. And they're experiencing renewal of their faith. Isn't that amazing? And, and part of me was thinking, and I said this to my husband the other day and said, don't tell anyone at church this. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be self-quarantined for two weeks and just have no more distractions? I don't have to be at this meeting and this meeting and, and be, be messaging so-and-so and so I've just got to be for two weeks on my own with my family and with the Lord. The Bible's words are relatively few. Actually, you might think the Bible's a big book, but compared to other books that we have right up here, um, there are, there are quite few. William Shakespeare, any guesses how many words Shakespeare wrote, Trevor? <laughs> no. Do you reckon it's under or over half a million? Over. It's 960,000 words, Shakespeare's collection. Harry Potter, any ideas how many words J.K. Rowling wrote in for Harry Potter? Under or over half a million? Over. 
It's over a million. Yeah, one million um, eight thousand four hundred. Uh, sorry, eighty-four thousand one hundred seventy words. That's a lot of words. Now we take in these things um, all the time. Coronavirus. The amount of words that have been poured out through the media about coronavirus is incredible. The Bible is only seven hundred fifty thousand words. It's actually surprisingly few. Never before have so many people been able to say so much in so many ways. And words fill the airwaves and the cyber waves and print waves and our brain waves as well. And it takes courage to listen to the still, small voice of God. And so I want to look at actually how we do that and I want to practice it this morning as well. Psalm 119 says, I have stored up your word in my heart. I think it's absolutely key at this time of great anxiety that we are storing up God's words in our hearts. The the prayer that Viv mentioned, I would really encourage you to read it. We prayed it as a church on Sunday, praying through um, very practical things from our medical teams, for our government, for the World Health Organization, but always the response picks up the word of God. Praise the Psalms. They are words that we need to come under, people, at this time of anxiety. We can come under these words. They're like a canopy, a refuge that we can come under. But we do have a choice about which words we come under. Yes, we need to be informed, but which words are going to steer our hearts at this time of anxiety? So, four main action points. First of all, listen more than you speak. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 2 says, Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. You are an earthling. So let your words be few. Some of us will find this easier than others. But we need to remember we have two ears and one mouth, and there's a reason for this. We need to listen twice as much as we speak, and we particularly need to listen to the wisest conversation partner of all, our creator, God. And so the busier you are, the more I think this is important, and I'm speaking to myself here, The busier we are, the more important it is that we are listening more than we are speaking. I think it was Desmond Tutu was interviewed by Bono, and he shared his schedule with him, and then he shared how he spends, I think it was about an hour every morning, just reading the Word of God and praying. And Bono said, how on earth do you have time to do that in your schedule? And Desmond Tutu replied, how on earth do you think I do my schedule without this time with God? at the start. So what we take in, what we're feeding ourselves with, will really dictate whether we live a very shallow life or whether we live a deep life and whether we're a blessing and we bring that life-giving peace to other people throughout our day. So listen more than you speak. Second, allow the Holy Spirit to bring God's word to life for you. The word, if you look at your Bibles on the table, in a minute we will be looking at them, it's, yes, it's, it's bound up in a, it's a canon, it's bound up in, in a text, 
It might look like it was written a long time ago and it might look quite a dead word, but actually this is a living word. This is God's word to us. And what's so wonderful is the Holy Spirit, who's part of the Trinity, Father, Son and Spirit, the Spirit brings the word to life for us. And it's a great prayer to pray as you, as you open God's word, Holy Spirit, breathe on this. Breathe on me, breathe on your word, bring it to life, because that's God's purpose. It's been said, the word and no spirit, and we dry up, and the spirit and no word, and we blow up. So we need both. We need the spirit to, to revivify, to bring to life God's word. Third, be prepared for God's word to disrupt you. We can so easily fall into the trap of thinking that God only speaks when we're here in church, but then I go about my ordinary life, you know, whether that's walking the dog or taking the children to school or cooking for the family or volunteering, whatever it is I do, my job, and that's that's a separate section of my life, and God doesn't speak to me there. But actually, if you read the Bible, you see that God breaks in and disrupts People time and time again as they're going about their ordinary lives. We're going to see an example of that in just a moment. So expect to be interrupted by God and expect God's word to disrupt what you expect to happen. Peter thought he knew all that there was to know about fishing. He knew what time of day or night you had to go out and cast the nets out. He knew just how to do it. Jesus comes along and tells Peter something that Peter thinks is completely mad. To go out in the middle of the day to cast his nets out into the deep. It was crazy. Any fisherman knew that you catch fish, the best time is the evening or early morning or during the night. And you do it near the shore where there's lots of oxygenated water. You don't go out into the deep. Fish are not going to be waiting to be caught out there in the middle of the day. But Peter allows Jesus to interrupt him in the middle of his working day to say something that probably looked crazy and Peter acted on it. And so my final point here is walk in the word that God gives you. Walk in faithfully the word that God gives you, the promise he gives you, because that's where there is life. God rewards that kind of faith. We know Abraham was given a word that did not make sense. Abraham was ancient. Sarah was ancient. There's no way that biologically they should be able to have children. And yet God gave them a word that they would have a son. And Abraham lost that word so often, let it drop time and time again. And yet when it came to him again in Genesis 15, when God promised him again that he and Sarah would have a child what he, what Abraham did next was absolutely pivotal. In Genesis 15, we read, Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. We need to take hold of the word of God and we need to walk it out in faith. I think I've mentioned Heidi Baker here before, but she's someone to me who's an example of this. When she started Iris Ministries in Mozambique, it looked crazy trying to do so much relief and development work in such difficult circumstances with flooding with major catastrophes happening but in the face of all of that 
Heidi knew that she'd been given a word from God and she chose to walk it out. And she wrote, wrote this, when God places a promise inside us, we have to decide to nurture it and believe that it will be accomplished. Every word God's ever given me required me to be patient and tenacious in walking it out. I've had to make choices and decisions that align with his promises. That's a word for some of you this morning. Will you line up with God's word, with his promises? Saying yes to him is not something I can do once and then forget about it. I have to live out that yes every day of my life. How do we do this? How do we walk in God's word? It might be that you actually need to write it down. When God speaks to you, write it down and come back to it. You might, or you might know somebody who can do a prophetic picture of it. And you can just have that word or that picture somewhere that you see in your daily life. Um, I've done this before. It's really helped me not get distracted from what the word that I know God has given me. But we also do this in community. We are given life-giving words as community, and we need to hold on to them as community, as church. So I don't know whether you have a magazine or an online publication, but where you put the words that you know God is speaking to you as a community, whether you feed back those words when you meet together, uh, when you pray together. This needs discernment. You know, that rule about, is this a life-giving word? That's important. Um, God's word does not bring blanket condemnation, ever. Where God convicts, where he does point the finger, it's so that he can ultimately build up and bring life. And so you want to ask yourselves, is the word encouraging, exhorting, comforting? And if there is a word of challenge or a change of direction... It needs to be up by the leaders of the church. There will never be a kind of dumping. God doesn't dump condemnation on anyone. Always ask, what is the action here? Because God's word will be specific and it will bring about action where he challenges and it will bring about life. You need to weigh the grain. Think of God's word as a seed. What's the chaff here and what's the wheat And avoid saying, thus saith the Lord, because you are only human, you are mortal, we all get it wrong sometimes. But be prepared to walk in God's word, to hold on to his promises, to sieve it and and keep coming back to it. Lord, is this what you're saying to me, to us? So we're going to practice this now. Um, And I'm going to take a story from Exodus the story of where God takes his people out of slavery and uses a man who feels he's completely blown it all, Moses, to do so. And we're going to read Exodus 3, 1 to 18. So if you've got Bibles, Exodus is the second book in the Bible after Genesis. I'm going to read it and then we're going to meditate on that word. And the word meditate... In Psalm 1, it's used, the same word that is used of cows chewing the cud. Um, They sort of pass it over, and it it goes through several processes, and then eventually they digest it, and it brings life and nourishment. So let's read Exodus chapter 3, 1 to 18. It's on page 59 in, in these Bibles. 
I don't know about the blue Bibles. 59. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And actually it was very common in those days for bushes, acacia bushes, to to self-ignite because it was so hot. So that was normal. What wasn't normal is that this bush does not burn up. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I'm the Lord, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name by which I'm to be remembered from generation to generation. And we'll stop there. So we're going to practice meditating on the Word of God now, and um, there's nothing weird or scary about meditation. It is really about chewing on God's Word, allowing the Holy Spirit to bring it to life for you. So you might want to um, close your eyes, get really comfortable in your seats. Just notice the ground beneath your feet, notice the strength of the chair you're sitting on. You might want to just take a couple of breaths, remembering that God is the God who gives us breath. Just take a deep breath in through your nose. 
and out through your mouth and do that a couple of times. And as you do that, just pray to yourself, come Holy Spirit, bring your word to life. And I want you to picture yourself doing a job you do all the time. Something that's just part of your ordinary week. Might be the thing you're going on to do next. It's very everyday. You might be working at the computer or walking the dog, shopping. Find a place, part of your everyday life. And notice your surroundings there. And something in your surroundings catches your eye. It's something you see every day, all the time, but this isn't acting as it would normally act. How would God get your attention? And you go over and take a look. How easy is it to go over and take a look? Are you frustrated that you're being sidetracked from what you were doing? Are you curious? What do you see there? And as you are looking, you hear your name being called. God calls you by name. What name does he use for you? What do you notice about his voice as he calls you? And when you're ready, I want you to say to the Lord, here I am. When Moses realized he was in God's presence, he, he knew he was on holy ground. Moses took off his shoes. He tried to hide his face. He was aware of how completely other God is, how completely holy. How do you find yourself responding to being in God's presence?
And how do you respond to his holiness? What would you do to show that you know you are just a creature and he is your creator? Just imagine yourself doing some kind of response to show that. Now, it might be for some of you, you just need to stay there, just being in God's presence, knowing that he calls you by name, that he knows you by name. So just keep your eyes closed. Just be, enjoy being with God. But for some of you, God wants to call you today as he called Moses because he has a role for you in this broken world of suffering. A life-releasing role. He wants you to bring his life about in a situation. So I want you to think about what it is you notice that isn't right in the world. Maybe it's something that makes you quite angry Makes you, or makes you sad, an injustice perhaps. It might be something you've been aware of for a long time, the way that people are being mistreated or the suffering that you've seen in this world. You may have been aware of it for a long time, but like Moses, you've just felt helpless to do anything about it. Moses had already tried to address the injustice, the way that people were treated, his people were treated in Egypt, and it had gone horribly wrong. But God wants to call him now, wants to call you now in his strength, so listen to his voice. The Lord says, I have seen it. The Lord says, I have heard it. He says, I am concerned about the suffering. So I have come down to rescue them, to bring them into a good and spacious land. That is God's purpose in redemption, to bring people into a good and spacious land. Just stay with those words for a few moments.
And the Lord says, so go. I'm sending you to bring them here. How would you feel about that commission? Tell the Lord how you feel. And maybe your question is the same as Moses. Who am I that I should go? And in response, God doesn't list your credentials, doesn't tell you how wonderful you are, how many A-levels you have or degrees, how equipped you are. He simply says, I will be with you. And maybe you want to ask, like Moses, and who are you? And the answer that God reveals to Moses is his name, his personal name, Yahweh. It means, I am who I am, and I will be who I will be. I will be enough for you. Trust me. And every question that you raise about your own inadequacy or about the scale of the problems ahead, God responds with revealing more of who he is and that he promises to be with you. I am who I am, I will be with you. And when you're ready, I'd like you to open your eyes. And just on your tables, if you feel able, maybe share what you felt God was speaking to you about as you went through that Bible passage, as you meditated on it. And you can be honest, if it did nothing for you at all, you struggled to get in that place where you could imagine the text, that's absolutely fine. But for some of you, God will have spoken. And part of taking hold of God's word for you might be this morning just sharing it with somebody else. So just for a couple of minutes, if you feel able, maybe twos and threes, chat to the person next to you. If you've heard somebody speak, something they know that God is saying, a way to be a good friend, a good companion to them is actually ask them in a week or two, what have you done with that word that God spoke? Somebody did that to me who preached, a visiting speaker, um, really powerfully. Rob and I knew that God was speaking to us. He emailed us from miles away um, two weeks later and said, I promised that I'd check in how you're doing how are you doing? And it was so good to have somebody check up on you. So be the, those people to one another. Um, it's a way that we hold on to God's word in community. 
Um, I would really encourage you this Lent to take time to store up God's word, uh, to come under the canopy of his words of peace, of life-giving peace, and to let God speak to you. Incredible things happen when we make time for God to speak to us. And I just want to finish with this poem by R.S. Thomas, who was a, a poet, a Welsh poet, and a priest. I have seen the sun break through to illuminate a small field for a while, and I've gone my way and forgotten it. But that was the pearl of great price, the one field that had treasure in it. We spoke about treasure earlier. I realize now that I must give all that I have to possess it. Life is not hurrying onto a receding future, nor hankering after an imagined past. It is the turning aside, like Moses, to the miracle of the lit bush, to a brightness that seems as transitory as your youth, but it is the eternity that awaits you. So, Lord, may your word bring us life. Thank you for the treasure of your word. May we take time in this distracted world where we know that there is an enemy who contests your word. May we take time to listen to your voice, to be slow to speak and quick to listen, to take hold of your word and to walk in its promises. In Jesus' name, amen.